0: Coach Podcast: Steve Kerr, Pete Carroll, and uh, our special guest today—somebody who would normally be introduced with uh, all kinds of accolades attached to his name—but I know him too well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> cut the BS. Greg Popovich, thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you for that, Steve. Appreciate it very, very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's not much of an introduction, Steve. But that's, that's it's great. You know, it's perfect. <laughs> obviously, you guys got history. <laughs>
0: I have to be honest. I, uh, you know, I played for Pop for four years, Pete, and um, and coached with him last summer in the World Cup. Um, I've I've never felt as nervous as I was today. I I think I f- now understand the sideline reporters and what they actually feel as they go into <laughs> NBA games, like knowing they got to interview Pop at the end of the first quarter. I'm I'm kind of I'm. Kind of antsy a little bit.
2: <laughs> you know, that's just a shtick, right?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll talk about that at another time. Uh, obviously, very, very difficult week uh, in our country. And uh, I think more than anything today, I, I, I just want to have a really open conversation with, uh, with, with two coaches who have meant a lot to me in terms of mentoring Uh, and uh, who I've learned so much from and who are also really well-connected to their players through relationships. And I just want to have a conversation on what's happening in the country, race relations, where we're heading, um, how we can actually create change in our country, and maybe what our our small place is in that big picture. And I think I'll start out, Pop, by just kind of asking you your feelings your thoughts on the last week or two
2: that's uh that is the starting point isn't it I'm trying it to figure is. out exactly how to think about this what it means how did it happen how did we get here what are, what are the reasons what did we miss and all of a sudden we have another killing so for my part personally as a as a white person one who has obviously participated in the privilege that we have uh, and and I think you know a lot of people's Situations a are, are privilege that they did not even know they had It's it's sort of like you're this will sound a little bit hyperbolic possibly to some but it's like we were born with innate white supremacy uh, Because we were born white and as the EC code says there's no such thing as white. You, you have to try to live your life like you're not white. It's very confusing to most of us. But if you were born white, you have a view of the world that does put you in a class of white supremacy. Uh, whether you wield that power negatively or not is beside the point. And most of us don't realize that as we're, as we're growing up. It's, it's not something that's in your face. Just like every community, Jewish community, black community, so on and so forth is not monolithic, neither is white supremacy. I, I don't think I'm ever going to wield a Confederate flag or a, a Nazi symbol or wear a Ku Klux Klan hood, uh, but that's one extreme of white supremacy. Uh, there are all sorts of levels. And I think the more that white people face that, Uh, the easier it will be to try to come to some understanding so that we can all live together uh, and all prosper in justice. So as this happened, I just felt a deep sadness, a a deep frustration, but also a, a horrifying embarrassment. As I looked at that officer's face with his hand in his pocket and the nonchalance with which he carried on for an instant, just took all hope away from me for solutions. Uh, you know, we I, I definitely won't stay in that state, but for a moment, it was like, my gosh, I'm thinking back to the hoses and the dogs in the 60s and then, you know, all the Jim Crow and the Rodney King and then all the deaths in between of young black men and women. Uh, and here we have a public lynching. And so the, the the embarrassment, the sadness, the anger just welled up. But then the overriding feeling was, how in the hell do black people and black people with children deal with something like this? And what can we say or do to help the situation? So just in a nutshell, those were all the things that were going through my head.
0: Yeah. And, and I think... um We've all been feeling that way to some degree, but, but especially us coaches who, who are coaching African-American players and, and coaching with other African-American coaches and knowing their families. And, you know, when it's personalized and you can see the pain, it is so difficult. Pete, I know you have been in constant contact with your team, um, through your zoom meetings and with, uh, the, the recent, uh, I guess I, I, normally they would be called mini camps, but whatever you guys are calling them, you, you, you guys were having daily Zooms over the last uh, couple of weeks. So what have your interactions been like uh, with your team?
1: Well, first off, the uh, because of our longstanding relationships with with our teams and our, our players and the backgrounds and, and always caring about them enough to... to Want to know about their families and want to know where they come from and want to know what they've been through to try to understand them better and love them better. and As we go through the process of trying to make winning teams, the connection is so deep, uh, and and the the understanding uh, as we have as I have learned over the years about the pain and the discomfort and the the the, the horrific burden that are that our players carry with them, the the responsibility to want to do something and, and knowing that we're in a position where maybe we, we could do something, it makes it, you know, such a challenge because it, it, it feels so, it feel so helpless. I can identify with, with pop Sand in that moment when he, when he looked in the eyes of that guy and he just didn't care. It just, you know, it was just like a lost feeling of what, how can we prevent this from being, being a reality, you know? And so, um, this is a wonderful opportunity, Greg. I'm so glad you, you're doing this with us because it's really. I'm hoping it's it's uh, you know, just three three white guys speaking to white guys and and, uh, and, and let them let people understand kind of where we're coming from and, and share with them. And so the point, Steve, is that when in our meetings and as we go forward. Um, on Friday, we, we just we had to address what was going on because it was already starting and knowing that we were leading into the weekend that was going to be really heated up most likely and and and, and accentuated the the craziness and all. But we came back on Monday and went right to it again and, and we break up and we, we, we have our we have teams within our team. So we have a, a kind of a setup makeup where we can really visit and let guys speak their hearts and, and talk about you know how this is impacting them and how it's affecting them. And so that we could all share in everybody's stories, that that's the process that we we went through, you know. And and uh, we've been here before, and we've been through this before. For my younger players, the guys that are the, the rooks, you know, that are coming in, it's an opportunity for them to hear from our leaders. And we have marvelous guys that speak on behalf of of the communities and speak on behalf of their families and speak on behalf of themselves as teammates. Uh, they show the way for for younger guys how they can speak and talk, and it's okay in our in our. In our environment to, to communicate it all in in the hopes of of just finding some kind of sense of of understanding you know and then how do we take the next step with this new experience that we've just lived through and it's it's, it's so horrific as it is again it's again is what kills us you know and, and Papa, again it happened we were facing it again and unfortunately you know the fear of it happening again in ahead of us is just I, it's unbearable to me to to think of. But anyway, so the point is that we're we're trying to interact as much as we can with our guys and hear from them and listen and, and learn and grow and 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 find a place where we can act and do something really positive. Which our club has done that over the years, but but we need to do more, and we're never done. And, and we can't live. The, I know the white guys on my in my staff, as you said, we you know, we have a bunch of guys on both sides of, of of the table here that are have different issues and backgrounds we can't live with an oblivious way of looking at this we can't do that we it, it's a, it's the privilege that like you said pop white people have there's this living in the you know oblivious to what's going on that ain't okay and so i'm trying to convey that to my guys that we we see it that way and then we're trying to learn from each other and see if we can move ahead you know together so
0: i want to eventually get to that point of you know what can we do what should we do but but pop you you brought up the reminder of the sixties, you know, with the fire hoses and the dogs. And, you know, for me, this was a reminder that Rodney King was 28 years ago. Um, Right. uh, You know, so the point being, this has been going on forever. It continues on forever. Um, So, you know, why does it keep happening? Why has it gone on forever? I think one of the most important dynamics of all of this is in our country, there's been a refusal to reconcile our sins of our past. And I know some people are going to say, you know, hey, slavery was abolished and, you know, during the civil war, and that was a long time ago. Stop it. Right. Uh, you know, this is, Not uh, cool. this is something that is generational. It's 400 years in the making. Um, and I think, the, the, probably the, the, the thing that I think has to be done before anything is an understanding and an awareness that there needs to be a reconciliation, an admission of guilt. And again, I, I, don't, I don't think it should be, this is not a message of, hey, all you white people, you should feel guilty. This is your fault. That's not the point. But this is the way our country is. It's our responsibility to admit that this is what's going on in our country and let's look at our past and let's truly examine our past. And Pop, I know you've, you've talked about that dynamic. Any, any thoughts on that front?
2: Sure. Uh, in a sense, it's important that, as you said, it's not admitting that you're guilty of something on the face, but silence or inaction or being oblivious makes you complicit and that's the point that a lot of people don't understand uh as long as they are not yelling out the n word or they're not the ones stopping somebody on the street uh they're not in the trucks chasing a young black man down uh, so that makes them innocent that's not the point the point is to be aware as you said uh of the past of those Centuries of treatment and understanding that emancipation didn't really do a whole lot uh, because it was followed with reconstruction and Jim Crow and so on and so forth. And that admission, much like Germany has done in their special circumstances, is the starting point. It's like building a house and you start with the foundation. That admission has to be forthright come from the heart, we're not gonna reach everybody. Uh, that's, that's an impossibility. So this is not an effort to be perfect, but it's an effort to make the country live up to the values and expectations and principles that it espoused in the beginning, some of which were lies for a great number of our citizens. So uh, that admission is the starting point and it's on us as white people to make this happen. So it's a a constant, and if this doesn't do it, I fear, I don't know what will, but a daily, every incident uh, that does happen has to be called out, whether it's by the government or one of your friends uh, that you're close to, uh, but amazes you with some action or some words out of his or her mouth, Uh, everything has to be called out. Uh, It was a good little vignette I saw the other day or, or was someone speaking on one of the news shows about changing the culture he talked about alcohol and driving drunk and How that culture changed and now, you know, basically you're a pariah if you get caught drinking while you're driving and Mothers did that mm-hmm. uh, That group changed the whole culture our society really changed with that so we do have the power Uh, as a group, if we stay on this, call it out, and be vocal all the time. And that small percentage of people that won't fall in the line, they really won't matter uh, if we can get this right to the point where the justice system changes and we stop incarcerating so many and so on and so forth, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But that's the starting point for sure. Black people have tried for a long time. It hasn't happened yet and we're the problem, we're the fly in the ointment
1: yeah that's re- i I couldn't agree with you more Pop that people in the in the communities of color they they know the pain and the reality uh they they understand that it's right. it's called upon the the problem lies in in the white communities not responding and and not the awareness not being adequate enough so that we do see, hear feel. The, the indiscretions that are happening and we 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 act on it we, we we respond with our our conscience doesn't allow us to do anything but respond and so there there's work to be done because this oblivious nature is 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 just not okay and and you know one of the thoughts that, that I'm having is that you know it's one thing would be that okay I I, I I'm non-racist person you know I'm, I you know I, I I don't act in that way in, in, in any of my my actions is, is in my everyday life. Well, that's not enough. It, it's, it, we have to be anti-racist. We have to go the step further. We have to go beyond and act and take the action. And it's it's going to be a challenge for people. It, it's it's hard to step in when you hear a conversation going on. You say, "Hey, okay, can, can we clean that up a little bit?" Or whatever you might say to acknowledge the fact that you're not accepting that which is is getting carried on around you and we have to get bold about that and i think that happens through knowledge and education and awareness and and we have to that's why guys like us got to keep talking you know we, we we've been through right. a lot together in, in our stuff and we have to keep talking and 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 allow for the mentality that that is a mentality that's necessary and we ain't perfect, and we've all screwed up, you know, and, and not done well enough. That's why I feel frustrated. I'm not doing enough. I'm not on it enough. I can't get active enough to 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 create the change. But I think we need to make progress, not just change. You know, <laughs> we got to help progress down the road here and get better at what we're doing, and and uh, and we got to work really hard at it. It's really important for us all. Well I think said. one of the
0: uh, one of the components to this whole uh, awareness is is just the education part of it, and you know, I, I think uh, it's 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 actually embarrassing, but a lot of American history has just been omitted from our textbooks. And you know, I, I I've had a couple of players who have been really interested in um, race relations and politics and history. Uh, David West, who I know you coached uh, Pop in San Antonio, and and also Andre Igudala. And I remember having a conversation with Andre a few years ago, and we were, we were talking about race and, and, and this subject of admission of this great sin in our country. And he said, coach, have you ever heard of the Tulsa race riots? And I said, no.
2: It's a great example. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Great example. And he says, I said, no, I said, and I'm immediately, I'm put on my, on my heels. I said, what, tell me about them. And he explains this, this, uh, basically this incredibly, successful African American uh, town called Black Wall Street. All, everybody in town um, was uh, it, it was a really thriving town and there was a uh, an, an altercation between a, a, a black man and a white woman somewhere in Tulsa and basically uh, the whole town where these African American people lived was attacked and dozens if not hundreds were were killed and the whole whole neighborhood was burned down. I took American history in both high school and college, and I never, I never heard of that. Um, so what does that say? We don't even teach it to our, our children. And so if, if we're not teaching this stuff, if we're not actually sharing the information that's important, how are we going to ever understand what people are, are actually facing?
2: That's right. 300 people were killed in that massacre, 300.
1: Yeah, you couldn't couldn't you just see that? I I think that there could be such value, if in the educational system, that we 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 taught the history of racism in America, or maybe history of racism, the the effort it would take to get the curriculum there, to get the teachers to and get the parents and the families to allow that to be brought into their schools, that whole process may be as valuable as the actual teaching that happens in the in the classroom for the kids, but without. Recognizing that history without acknowledging it and, and and calling it exactly like it is, what are we talking about? How, how can we, How? no wonder people don't know? No wonder people can remain oblivious. No wonder, no wonder they can stay living in privilege. If we're not even bringing out the truth, that we just need to get the truth in front of us. Yeah. And then I would, gosh, I wish we could figure out how to get that in, in their classrooms, you know? Coach, you're,
2: it's such a great point. It's how, how do you hold someone responsible if they're just totally ignorant? Right. Uh, have no idea about what has gone on. And that's why this pressure has to be constant by white people, whether it's whatever municipality you're talking about, whatever school board. Sure. That's a, that's a tough slog for sure. It's going to be difficult uh, to get something like that done, but it's, it's a great point. And to begin it as early as possible is probably important. I, sure, uh, I was in a, TV room the other day with my eight-year-old granddaughter. And I was watching the news. She happened to walk in and it it was the exact time where they were replaying this policeman with his knee uh, on George Floyd's neck. And I, I didn't realize she was there. And I turned for whatever reason. I saw her standing there and she was just staring. And she said, Poppy, why does that man have his knee on that man's neck? What is he doing? And I was just, I was dumbfounded. I didn't, I turned it off. And then I thought, should I have left it on and explained it to her? Or uh, how do I explain it to her now that I've turned it off? And I, I made some feeble attempt, uh, but I didn't know how far to go, how deep to go. What age is it? Is it she ready or not ready? And I thought, wow, that's a problem for me. And then I thought, what about a black family? Do you think they have a problem talking to their kids and figuring out what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's so convoluted and complicated that, as Steve said earlier, everything sort of fades away if we don't have that initial admission, that sorrowful recognition of what went on in the past and what has continued. And I don't know how many people are able to do it. But even if they were the most selfish people in the world, it's for their benefit too, even if it's yeah. for the wrong reasons.
0: Pop, you, uh, you, you mentioned um, Germany, and I think it's a really important analogy because obviously uh, what happened during the Holocaust is uh, among the most horrific uh, events of the world's history, if not the most horrific. Um, Germany is now the strongest country in Europe, um, what 75 years after the Holocaust, um, approximately. What can you share what you know about Germans reconciliation as a country, as a government after the Holocaust and what, what they did, how they approached it?
2: Well, I think the most important thing they did, and this is an obviously problem for us, Uh, this cannot be done. And what they did could not be done without leadership. Right. It has to come from those people in positions of power, imagery. Uh, You know, we, we, we follow and must trust our leaders until they show us otherwise. And it's pretty obvious that we've been shown otherwise in a lot of different situations here. So that trust that credibility isn't really there. That's a problem we have that they took on and the leadership was dedicated, truthful, transparent, heartfelt, and the public, and I always wanna believe the, the majority of the public is, is have, they have good hearts. They want things to be done properly. Uh, they're, they're not prone uh, to listen to the bad angels. Uh, they listen to their good angels, but only if that leadership that's in power can direct them appropriately. And that's where it started. After that, uh, there was a dogged recognition and oversight, educationally, politically, in municipality after municipality to follow through, to make sure that education continued. And that's a, that's a big, big job. And I don't know at this point if, well, we're not up to it at this point.
1: Yeah. We know that
2: <laughs> we, we're not up to it. Yeah, uh, So that, that's a problem. Uh,
1: you know, the fact that they were able to make it through the, the first, the, the image, like you said, they had the image of we need to do something about this and they worked their way through that process. There's so much good that comes through that processing just to get to the point that, um, it, it isn't going to be easy, but wouldn't, I would think that three of us would all, from what we know, wouldn't we stand for, we need to see it somewhere in the educational system and processed with a real clear lineage of bringing it on through and taught in the schools, so that it's just becomes a normal understanding and realization of what happened. Wouldn't, I mean, that's, to me, it's just so obvious that I, I would jump on the table for that. I would think a lot of people wouldn't. I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would fight it and make it difficult and all that. So, you know, so that's okay. Don't yeah. worry about that part of it. It's, it's the it's exactly. really the effort has to start to get this thing going. Not, the, the The textbooks aren't even going to be ready to go because there isn't any. But there's plenty of stuff as we send out a message for what we're talking about today. There's one really clear thought that we could we could support. That let, let's let's see if we can step this thing up educationally and make it available so that our generation of kids coming up and our grandkids pop. I know exactly we're talking about our grandkids right now. How do we speak to them? How do we help them understand? And we range from one that. Eleven, right now, you know, and we're trying to help them understand how they're going to take their next steps and how they're going to understand the relationships they have with the black kids that they grow up with. They're growing up with black kids in their in their in their their sleepovers and their best friends and all. How can they handle what's coming, you know, down the pike? And if we don't give them tools, they're not going to be prepared for it.
2: You're here, coach.
1: I think the good news
0: is uh, the younger generation behind us is more diverse, more tolerant. More aware than any generation above them, I truly believe that. Um, just speaking with my children, who are all in their twenties, um, seeing their friends, um, hearing about what they're doing, um, and not just in their little circle, but but reading about things nationwide. You you watch the the protests, the peaceful protests that are going on, and I, I know there's been. Um, a lot of violence as well and looting, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. But if you, if you watch, uh, let's just say, or watch a peaceful protest, the diversity in those protests is dramatic. And I truly believe the younger generation behind us has had enough. Uh, and and th- as they grow, as they uh, become the current generation, they're ready, they're ready for some change. But I think part of this conversation, and we've touched on it, is you know what can older white guys like us do? To me, that, that's, that's what this comes down to, is, is everybody in a position of power, corporations, entertainers, athletes, coaches, um, educators, people in the limelight, the, the more the merrier. But we truly need the leaders of big corporations to actually stand up and say this has got to stop because they're the ones who can influence the government. And if they're if that influence happens, that that's how we can initiate some change. But the younger generation coming behind us, they're they're ready for us to set the table. That's those are those are my beliefs anyway.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that, Steve. And there there is we we know we we see the the interaction that that is existing that maybe didn't exist when we were growing up or whatever, where there is a much greater sense of relationship and understanding and and uh, even a more communal sense of of our kids with other kids of other races and all. And that's it's a beautiful thing. It's almost how could it not happen for the positive? Well, if we don't, we have to jump to the top of this uh, the the. The ladder here, and get the people on the top end to open up the opportunities to to make the statements, to make the the, the declarations that that will allow for this change. Because somewhere along the line, now it, this should have happened. It already should have happened, and it didn't. And so there's 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 issues here, and there's concerns, and there's there's efforts, and there's some power to the the, the messaging that comes down that has maintained it to this point. We're still fighting our, our butt off to get this done, and and but that's okay. It's okay. It's just. There's there's things working against us here. So as we try to generate uh, energy and and momentum and all that, uh, we have to we got to move the people that are willing to move. And and I think that Pop said that right off the top. I think that's really crucial.
2: Well, I I think that the responsibility, uh, as Steve said, for those who have some sort of platform, uh, whether you're an athlete or a coach or an entertainer or a business mogul, uh, all those people have to coalesce. They have to come together. Uh, Because it's a little more difficult now in some ways when I think back to uh, Martin Luther King jr. Boycotting the buses well that that hurt people's pocketbooks and Change some change happened because of that. It's difficult in today's world uh, in this corporate world to make people's pocketbooks hurt uh, the way that did it seems like a a small example But the world has changed dramatically Uh, we just gave I forget the figure: 150, 145 million, billion, with a B, dollars to real estate developers in this last package in one of the packages that we just did, these bailout deals. That's horrific. It's humiliating. Right. It's, it's ignorant. And a lot of journalists have printed it, and it's been out there, but nothing will be done, uh, just like after the 2008 debacle financially, uh, tell me how many executives are in jail because of it. So it's, it, it's a, a depressing thing, but what it tells me is if it's that more difficult, it's even a greater responsibility for people like ourselves, uh, to make sure that we talk about it as much as we possibly can. And this educational point that you bring up coach is, I think it's fantastic. And I think it's a could be a very valuable way. You think about uh, that sports team, that hockey team, that basketball team, that football team, whoever it is in that that city, making a point about something like that uh, and putting their money where their mouth is and engaging whatever corporate entities happen to be in that particular locality to talk to school boards, to talk about education, because there's always got to be pressure. Nothing, nothing happens. Uh, You know, in the sixties, nothing really changed until all the people in America saw the hoses and the dogs on TV. And they saw the way black people were being treated there. Now it became real. It's the same with the Vietnam War. People have to feel the pain to some degree before they're at, because as we've often said, uh, we're way, way, way too comfortable. And unless we get people to be feeling more uncomfortable, it doesn't change.
1: You know, Papa I've always said, I, I, I hate to learn the hard way, but sometimes we just have to learn the hard way for our greatest lessons to come through. And let's look what happened this week. Look, look, at the response this week. We we know that this we're we're trying to seize this opportunity because we can feel it because of the pain that was so clearly demonstrated. And like I said, I hate to learn the hard way, but sometimes that, that that's the only way for the lessons to really drive home and yep. and uh, so we just we gotta make it pay. We got we gotta make this time pay for something really positive by by reacting and responding. Exactly.
0: It, it feels it feels like this is a tipping point. You know, uh, Pop, you mentioned that in in Vietnam, and you know the, the pictures of 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 the war, the pictures of the the uh, the, the dogs and the fire hoses during the demonstrations of in the '60s. What's different now compared to say Ferguson in 2014, after Michael Brown was killed? Um, why why now? Do you think? Uh, does it have to do with the the virus? Is it exacerbated because people aren't working, or what, what's why do we- why, why is it all of a sudden feeling like this is it now, or does it?
2: right I, I, I've talked with a good number of people about that because why not two killings ago or four killings ago? It's yes. similar to the argument about guns. You know, Sandy Hook wouldn't be enough to see right. little kids killed. Right. Uh, the way they were, uh, but it, it wasn't enough, and so it's it's always to me it's always a matter of how to. You might, as Coach said, the hard way. How do you make people feel the pain? Uh, h- how do you do that? Well, it's got to be pressure of some sort, and usually it has been protests. Nothing nothing happens because people are silent because people are quiet. There's always got to be a reaction, and I honestly think that. As many have said, that the virus has a lot to do with this, uh, because you're holed up in your house. You're already in a little bit of a semi-depressed state. You know, probably a, your mood probably is a little different than usual. Uh, you lost a little bit of energy in your step. Uh, you become a little bit more introspective. You're maybe a little bit more involved in relationships, relationships uh, with your family and with your friends uh, on the phone. You've taken a little time to check your priorities. And in the middle of that, we have a a government and a president who has been the way he has, and we would waste way too much time uh, talking about every little thing that he has said or done. But even for people who I think initially voted for him, I have to believe there's a certain number of them who were disgusted uh, by the behavior and at least really tired Of what would go on day after day after day. And so it all kind of coalesces, it it all comes together. And then the George Floyd murder was so in your face. And the manner in which it was done, I think, sickened even the most hardened, or I hope sickened even some of the most ardent Trump supporters. because that, that was, that was a, uh, a gut feeling that anybody with any kind of heart would have. It, it was primal. It was a primal feeling when there was an expressionless man doing this, actually adjusting his knee on this man's neck as he left his hand in his pocket. Like, it was really not a lot of effort here. I'm just doing what I need to do. And I think it disgusted a lot of people, and thus, you know, the protests came out as you both have said, with all kinds of different people, all kinds of different races, uh, which was heartening for sure.
1: You know, you know, one of the things too that supported the, I think the 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 furor that happened here was the uh, the the lack of justice immediately stepped in stepping in and and yes. claiming that this is it's right before ice and you're going to do what you're gonna delay what process and it took us time to get the guys arrested and all, all that and it still is I think that response added to it had the response been right immediate and you know, it's easy second in hindsight and all, but they should have jumped on it. Had they, I think the response to, from the, the populations would have been different uh, to some extent anyway. And it and, uh, doesn't make anything right at all. But that, no, that's, a great that's, that's a real sickening part of it is that what we didn't react to and the white people that were, all the white guys that were sitting right there that could have helped out and they didn't and whatever. And, and I'm not, I don't know any of the guidelines or the rules of all this thing, but that response didn't, didn't help us. And and we need a better response. We can't let, we got to know that that's, what's going to happen next time too. We need to respond better because of what we're learning and what we've known. How could we not learn these lessons pop after all this time, after all of these instances, there's so many examples.
2: Your point is a great one, coach. And just, you know, Armand Aubrey that took what, two, three months. And we wouldn't even have known until a video came out. Yeah. Steve just talked about Tulsa and (laughs) nobody still knows about that. Basically. Yeah.
0: A hundred years later. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, same thing happened in Wilmington, the Wilmington lie. There's a great book out now called the Wilmington lie, same sort of a a massacre, but nobody knows about it. And that delay, I think coach makes a great
1: point. Steve, the the, the point you make about, you know, like we all would like to call for the people that are in positions who have influence and that could, could affect change. But the other thought of it is to me is that Everybody has an influence to some extent, and we need. Uh, yeah, absolutely on point. We need to get the people who can call some shots for us and make sure that they can help situations and 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 the the politics of stuff and all of that. But everybody has in their own in their own dimension around them an ability to affect. The, the right way to yeah. respond and the right outlook and 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 doing the right thing and saying the right thing, making the right stand as little as it may be if more people collectively and i think that's what we're seeing we see, look at the response you know in the protest this protests are extraordinary this extraordinary uh, uh, a demonstration that we need to see there's some horrible parts of it but protest is is awesome because people are expressing their views and their visions and they'll and they're willing to put themselves out we need that to happen on all levels as well is reaching to the highest levels, and we whatever we can do to influence that would be, would be worthwhile. I'm sure it's a great,
0: great point. Um, and part of that is is having those uncomfortable conversations with the people who may not uh, agree with you already. You know, sure. Um, we all have people in our circle who are going to disagree with certain points on this. There, there can't be any disagreement about what we just witnessed. You know, right. we we just witnessed murder. And this was not murder number one. This this has been happening for 400 years. So, um, you know, the the co- these conversations have to be had at every level. You're right, Pete. And then I think there, there's there's so much that everybody can do. You know, um, donating money or time to grassroots organization uh, organizations around the country. There's a, there's a million things you can do to help. Yeah. Um, But but I think you're right. I think it takes it's a collective effort. Um, I want to ask you this because this is uh, you know Pop mentioned generally peaceful protest isn't going to get us very far. You in the NFL you you witnessed this. We all did four years ago when when uh, Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee in in, uh, protest of police brutality, and not only was he basically shouted down, although. Plenty of people supported him, but you know the the you know he he was kind of left without a job and and a lot of people uh, just just sort of forgot about him and um, the NFL has just moved on. Um, how do you feel about all that? And how do you reconcile all that with the fact that you're you're very outspoken and very passionate about the issues we're
1: discussing right now? Well, I think that, that there was a, a moment in time that that a young man captured, and he he took a stand on something, you know, figuratively he took a knee, but he, he he stood up for for something he believed in, and uh, uh, what a what an extraordinary moment it was that he he was willing to take. I don't know that he had any idea what the impact would be as as it turned out, but w- what a symbol of of courage. And, and vision maybe even as he was just learning it uh to, to do what he did but it, it what happened from the process is it is it elevated an awareness from people that just took everything away from what the statement was all about and it just got tugged and pulled and 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 ripped apart and the whole mission of what he with the statement was that was such a beautiful it's still the statement we're making right today is it that we're not we're not protecting our people. We're not looking after one another. We're not making the right choices. We're not following the right process to to bring people to justice when when actions are taken, you know. And, and uh, so, I think it was a a, a big sacrifice in the sense that, that you know that that a young man makes. But that's those are the courageous moments that some guys take, and, and you know we owe a tremendous amount to him. Yeah, for I sure. think uh,
0: this is where you know Pop, you mentioned leadership before, and and. You know, the kind of national leadership we need. Uh, you know, when when Kaepernick took a knee, you know, the first thing that the Trump administration did was they staged the walkout by Vice President Pence, where he flies to the game in Indianapolis. And as soon as the national anthem starts, Kaepernick takes the knee right. and he stands up and he walks out. He makes a big show of it. And then ironically, Pence, the, just this past week, Tweeted, we support peaceful protests. Well, no, you don't. You obviously don't. You know, and Sorry. Trump at the time called Kaepernick and all NFL players who were kneeling, called them sons of bitches. Said, get them out of there. If they don't, they don't want to stand for their flag, fire them. Get them out. Get them out of the. Get them out of this country. Um, Trump yesterday in his comments says we support peaceful protests. So. Obviously, we don't have the leadership to to support people like Colin Kaepernick um, from the top in our government. But I also think he needed it from the NFL offices too. I think he needed it. He needed more support from Roger Goodell and and from the league office. But you know, that's uh, to me. you, You, it's it's really hard to look at what's going on right now with all the 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 violence and the protest and not look back to four years ago and say, look, this guy was trying to peacefully protest and nothing came of it. The killings went on and nothing changed and he was actually ridiculed. So it's a it's a it's a real tough one to 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 think about.
2: Well leadership, you know, and courage go hand in hand. And we we know we know we don't have that. Uh, when we have a leader who's main purpose in life is himself. And anything that affects him is how he bases his words and actions. The only words that come out that are somewhat uh, inclusive are written for him by others that he speaks as if he just took a, a hit of castor oil and has to say it anyway, because he has to mollify the idiotic things he said previously. So when the When the vandals did what they did, he condemned that, which anybody would. But as you both have said, he also condemned the peaceful protest with Colin Kaepernick. So he will use whatever he can to advance his own purposes. And the crowd around him is as bad or worse. Uh, All the sycophants around, they know who he is. These are the same people who said he was unfit. Uh, The same people who said he was crazy but now they're willing to uh, carry his water. So that leadership uh, is, is not there. And you know the vandals that were all wishing they hadn't done what they did, it's important not to condone that, but to still understand it, to understand the frustration, the anger, the hopelessness. And we're talking now about poverty, about injustice, about incarceration. Uh, about profiling, about police brutality. All this boils up and you're going to get some of that. It's it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's logical. I'm not surprised by it at all. So somehow the culture has to change just like it did with drunk driving. This culture that's a disease in all of our cities and it's it's about policing. It's about policing. This is not an occupying force. You know, the Black and brown people in our society look at them as a, an invading force as they should uh, For all the reasons that everybody's talked and written about uh, now. We have Tanks and grenade launchers and this sort of thing in some police departments uh, It's like the Soviets going into Hungary Half the time when you look down the street now and you see the equipment. Why why do we need that equipment? How is it not going to be a confrontational sort of attitude at least mentally in all these places? The cultures in all these cities have to change, and Obama tried to do that. Uh, He had a great program that was being implemented across the country about policing, about training, about recruitment, all that sort of thing, about the qualified immunity they have, about the unions and how ridiculous it is that you you can hardly prosecute somebody, as we've seen. Uh, But what happened when the Trump administration came in? They threw that game plan in the toilet, just like the pandemic game plan. Uh, and we know all the reasons why and don't need to go into that. But that leadership, that courage that President Obama showed to try and help fix that has been thrown in the toilet. We have to start from the beginning. And as I think you said at the beginning, Steve, maybe this is a tipping point. Maybe that kind of pressure can be put on uh, with people who have any kind of a voice at all. and is, Uh, Coach said, even from the grassroots, everybody, it's not just the people who can be seen. But if we all do it and demand it, that policing situation can at least not be done behind closed doors. Because all those contracts are done, as far as I know, with mayors and police departments behind closed doors. They're not voted on. People don't know about those things. And now we're stuck with what we have in all these situations where they can hardly be prosecuted.
1: You know, uh some something comes to mind to me, Steve, is about um Pop's talking about about leadership, you know, and, and being in the positions that we're in, we have learned that leadership is about the other people. It's about holding ourselves accountable to help those around us be what they can possibly be. And th- without that connection, there is no leadership. If you if you don't have the connection to the people that you're serving. And hold yourself accountable for all of the people that may be listening to us, you know, that are in those positions. you got to take those tough stands. you got to stand up for it and, and stand up for what you know is right and be willing to take the hit because it's the right thing to do. And then good things happen because you're doing things for the right reasons, you know. And, and you can make it through the hard times and you can rebound from the, from the setbacks and the problems. But it, it comes from the principle of, of just serving others and doing a good job with it and and. And, you know, letting yourself be scrutinized because we live with that and have the courage to suck it up and do it, you know, and so
0: no, it's a great point. you know and and I think we're in an era now where where athletes are are really more uh, likely to speak out uh, to make their voices heard uh, than than we've seen probably since the civil rights era. You know, um Jalen Brown drove fifteen miles or fifteen hours from Boston down to Atlanta. Uh, to join the protest the other day. Um you know the players coalition uh, made up of uh, of some of the former NFL players Anquan Bolden, DeMario Davis, uh, I know Malcolm Jenkins is very very involved work done uh, doing a ton of great work in in uh, on the front lines in in our inner cities trying to help with these very issues that that uh, you guys are talking about. Um Pop, do you feel, is it, is it any different now coaching than say, I don't know, 20 years ago when we were living in, you know maybe before 9-11 when we were living in a much more sort of benign era?
2: <laughs> you know, I, I think that people are people. You know, people that have a different perspective. I think the players that we coach now, I think they become a little bit more worldly sooner than in the past, uh, because so much has gone on. Our country has seen so much, and the internet, the social media, they're so, they're so well connected. Uh, oftentimes, my players tell me what the hell's going on uh, in the world, and then I go check it out. Uh, mm. Because that's the world we have. In the past, everything was a little bit more insular. And you just had your group, your family, uh, your team, uh, your coaching staff, uh, but it it wasn't uh, interconnected the way it is now, kind of like the, the globalization we have in the, in the world. We sort of have that in players. So they're, they're, they're pretty uh, knowledgeable as to what's going on. And as you said, I think they're less prone to just accept things the way they are. You know, the players that you just mentioned uh, on the coalition, and other players in in all the leagues, I think, are really ready, willing, and able to help out and try to make a stop to all the craziness that we see, and to truly to really focus on helping those those places, those people that have less than the rest of us. Uh, much more committed, I believe, and as you said, much more ready to speak out. But it It's got to stay persistent or it's just going to fade away
0: Pete you feel mm-hmm. you feel that um that responsibility to help nurture that that sort of activism from your players um yeah. or is that is that something that just comes naturally and 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 you let them go
1: no i i, I do i I want our guys to to feel comfortable thinking for themselves and feel comfortable. Uh, with their thoughts and feel comfortable about expressing their thoughts um, in our environments, we work to create a, a you know a you know kind of a culture that allows for that to happen in hopes that they will find their voice and are willing to to step out and do stuff. Our guys are really active in the community. The meetings that we just had on Monday were really uh, really went uh, interestingly. Our guys talked a lot about voting and they talked a lot about making you know making their voice heard and 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 helping you know. Coaches admitted that, you know, they hadn't voted in the years past, but they were going to vote like never before. And the players were saying the same thing, and, and we we're going to make sure that we help the people around us understand how important it is. When, I mean, think about that mentality. That our guys are, are so much better informed and so much smarter than they used to be because they have so much information and, and available to them. And, uh, you know, like Pop said, they're they're way ahead of us, man, you know, <laughs> a lot of times, and we have to be open to learn from them as well. But uh, I think that there's – there in my situation, I'm really – promoting our guys to, to branch out and to reach out. And I'm not afraid of them to speak out. I, I, I don't, I, I like them to, uh, th- I'll reel them in, you know, I'm okay. We'll reel them in. <laughs> they gotta, you know, we've had a lot of guys that have been pretty vocal over the years and I got no problem with that at all. They just got to be willing to to come on back to the team and come on back to the, to the, you know, the culture that we, they were in and, and, and live with us. But um, I, I think it's really important. And I don't know how somebody could be at their best unless we keep pushing them that way. We got to keep yeah. pushing them to find themselves and find their voice.
2: That's a culture, you know. Coaches created that culture, and that allows people to feel comfortable uh, and to be transparent, uh, to share ideas. And as you well know, Steve, you know that's what we've tried to do with, with our teams over these last couple of decades. And it it makes for not just a, a happier family, but a family that feels responsible to each other. Uh, they enjoy being with each other. They're proud to be there. And if we can. Help that whether that means you know having guests come in or certain books that are provided or uh, Discussions like coach is having with his teams now Uh, It's it's our duty to do that. Uh, We have that responsibility to keep that sort of a culture uh, Alive and the more those cultures exist The the better off we're going to be
1: To me, it's become more apparent how important it is to, to promote teammates and team. And, and more than ever, you know, it's always been the team game for us in our sports that we played. But more than ever, the awareness of our guys to be great teammates is more valuable to me and more important to me than it ever has been in my coaching. And what that means is that you're, if you're a great teammate, then you're concerned for others. And and the, the great Bill Russell was in our meeting room, just like you're saying, pop, we had him in a couple of years back. And out of nowhere, he said, you know, you know what it takes to be a great teammate? He said, you got to get up every morning thinking about how you can help one of your teammates be better. And I thought, holy crap. (laughs) Think of that awareness that you would have, that awareness that you you wake up in the morning thinking about your point guard. You're waking up in the morning thinking about my wide receiver. What can I do to help that guy be great? Well, that kind of mentality doesn't have to only be on our teams. Why couldn't that mentality be what it feels like to be an American, that I am part of the team, I am part of this thing, and what can I do to help the people around me? You know, Kennedy said it a long time ago, you know, and well, why would that not be as important as ever, as opposed to look out for what I got, protect your own, look out, you know, save me, you know. I just think it's it's such a, um, it's a clear thought that, and it takes direction in leadership and leadership, and I know this too, Pop, you said it, that it It's an environment of, of you feel good about being there. You feel comfortable. You you are a little bit happier because you know, you're doing the good work, you know, you know, you're helping people and that's, that is so fundamental, but doggone, it's, it's powerful and it's important. And I, I don't feel it enough, you know, around us. I wish we could feel it more. I wish we could promote it more wherever we go.
0: Those are great points. Great points. Um, I'm, I want to wrap it up since this is a uh, coach's podcast. I, you, you guys are both just touching on culture. And in my mind, you know, having played uh, for you, Pop, for four years, and Pete having uh, learned so much from you and having visited your training camps, the key to both of your respective success is culture, 100%. It's the feeling in, in the locker room, in the gym every single day it's not the X's and O's. Uh, it's, it's Obviously, you got to have talent. And you guys have both had plenty of talent, but it's just the vibe and the working environment and that whatever that is that you feel every day. Um, so I want to ask you, Pop, when did you figure that out in your coaching career? How long did it take from a young coach just starting out to right now? At what point did you figure out that that's what it was all about? <laughs>
1: I can't wait to hear this answer.
2: (laughs) That's a great question. You're making me think back uh, to the days when I was a coach at the Air Force Academy prep school, working for Hank Egan. And I was a wild man. The most important things to me were people being in the best shape they could be, just killing them out on the court. <laughs> Maybe it's you know, show I'm tough or whatever that might be. And and we do the drills until their tongues were hanging out, and we'd repeat them and repeat them, and they had to be perfect. They had to execute those things absolutely perfect. Then practice was over. See you later. As time went on, you start to realize that that's really a shallow way to live. There's not a whole lot of satisfaction in that. And I would say that. Probably when I came to Golden State with Nelly, it was probably the first time I watched him or coach just talk to each player like he was their son. He was happy for him or he was disappointed in him. One of the two. And he'd say it either way. Hmm. Uh, you know, if their effort stunk or their effort was great, he'd tell him in no uncertain terms. And then he'd put his arm around him. Then he'd laugh with them and they would needle each other, you know, that sort of thing. So
0: and they'd probably have a beer together at some point. In oh, absolutely.
2: Too. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe even during practice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a maturation progress, uh, process. So you, you go from not thinking, you know, it all, but probably being scared to death that you're going to miss something. And, you know, back then it was a different culture. It was all about conditioning and, you're going to, you know, the, the, you don't need water uh, philosophy sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And then as <laughs> you go take a salt, <laughs> take a salt pill, if you're getting a cramp, you know, that kind of thing, and then you, you move on. And then you realize that how much more meaningful it is when you actually know about that player, or you can laugh with him or you can get on him, but he knows you're going to put a, your arm around him after the practice. And then he's just going to say, this guy's crazy, uh, but I know he loves me. I know he cares. And then the satisfaction starts to grow, and then you realize that's the holy grail—those hmm. relationships.
0: Yeah, no doubt, Pete. I, I think I know your answer, but why not? Same question. When did when did you figure out that dynamic of culture being the most important thing?
1: Um, you know, I don't know if there's a specific time. I got in trouble so much early in my coaching for for listening and talking to the players and wanting to know what's going on with them and and not I never I didn't fear that relationship and uh, older coaches more classic coaches um would would say you can't listen to your players you can't talk to them you know you you have to make call all the shots and all that which I always felt like I was but I did it you know and I so way early in my coaching I was I was there and and I kind of been in and out of trouble with coaching for a lot of years you know people not really relating or thinking we're having too much fun or thinking we're doing this or we're doing that um but I, I do think that it, when I got ready going into USC, um, you know, I had been fired enough times and and it just there was just a, a, a moment in there that there was an epiphany that I needed to get it as much, as true to my heart as possible. And my heart was about competing and my heart was about having fun. And I wanted to figure out how to connect all that, you know. And, and so um, I always cared about, you know, Pop, you just, I hear you, you know. About loving the guys up and caring for them so much, and you even said sometimes it, you treat them like your your son. That's the way I look at it. I, mean, I look at these guys like if it was my own kid. What would I do? And how would I I'd kick him in the ass if he wasn't doing right? And I'd hug him up as soon as I could, or hug him up and then kick him in the ass, or you know, whatever it took to get him to to be all that they, you know, could possibly be. And and uh, that's kind of that's been the way, you know. And so with that comes comes a style. There's a style to how you 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 know you organize your building and how you, know, you organize your expectations and uh, that uh, to me is really really ultimately comes back to caring you know, I, I think that's, I heard it in pop too, you know, that uh, you saw it in Nellie that, that it's, you care. Yeah, you can tell them whatever you got to tell them, but you do it because you care so much. They need to hear it, you know, and you need to get it out. And then, and then, and and you, you work them through the, the hardships of what that, those messages and those lessons are. And sometimes they get cut and sometimes you bring them back and sometimes you bench them. And sometimes you play, you know, all of those things that we go through when it comes from a, from a, a a place of caring and loving them, then you 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 can make it through almost anything. And I think it's where the best stuff happens. I think it's where the real magic occurs, and it's it's what makes it so much fun to to be you know be a coach and doing what we do. No doubt, no doubt. Well, I guess I got to share my uh, epiphany Go. moment. Uh,
0: <laughs> I uh, I was blessed to play for several Hall of Fame coaches, so I felt it. When I was in college playing for Lute Olson, I felt that culture. I couldn't define it. I was 18, 19 years old. I didn't know what the hell I was, uh, I was uh, feeling uh, other than this was really special. Um, I think by the time I played, I got to Chicago and I played for Phil Jackson, that's when my mind sort of made these connections. Like, I, I get it. Like, this culture here is so powerful because Phil cares about us and because there's a genuine authenticity, uh, to what he's doing and to go straight from Chicago to San Antonio and feel, uh, the same authenticity and the same genuine caring about me, about my family, you know, coming from pop. Um, and, and by the way, Phil and pop and Lute Olson couldn't be any more different from one another. Yeah. That's a great. Uh, but they were all, that. but they were all authentic to themselves, and they all had this, this beautiful culture that they had built. So I, I walked into my first coaching job knowing that that's what I wanted to achieve. And and Pete, I don't want to uh, embarrass you, but you were the one who verbalized all that for me when I went up and visited you in the Seahawks training camp before camp started. You you helped me figure out literally verbalizing what what I was experiencing when I was uh, feeling that the strength of those cultures. And so after I visited you, I I literally put everything down on paper and sort of thought through everything, you know, tried to to uh, design my practice plans so that, you know, this this authenticity co- could come through and that the players would feel a certain vibe. And I took everything I do, I took from you know pop phil and and lute and uh, i've been able to to uh, to do it in my own voice and make it authentic to me but um, through the experience of of the guys i've played for so i'm a, i'm a very uh, very lucky coach i had a great uh, great uh, set of mentors and you two are 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 each uh, largely responsible for that so thank you
2: did, did you participate in any defensive drills in san antonio i don't remember <laughs>
0: I was going I to take credit him. for
1: a shooting. Uh, I, I wish you would let me give me a shooting. I didn't get any credit for that at all. That's the only thing I care about. <laughs>
0: I just waited till Tim Duncan or David Robinson blocked the shot after I got beat on <laughs> penetration. It, it all worked out fine. Still digging on him, Pop. I like digging yeah, on his that's defense. Right. That's so good. Happy. He's exactly. still coming after me. I, I, thank you so much. This was um, really, really fantastic. And, and um, Keep doing what you guys are doing. It's so important uh, for for people to hear your voices and hear your thoughts. And and uh, I just I can't thank you enough for for everything you're you're doing in society and for for all your words today. So thanks, guys.
2: It's been an honor to be with you guys. Thanks, thanks, Greg. Thanks. Take care.